Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have a full crew here in the studio. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning. Brian. Morning, Brad. Philip. Hey, guys. And Bob. Hello, Brad. So we've got a great show today. We're going to talk a little bit about how to manage those young heifers, breeding heifers, as we come upon the end of the grazing season. We're also going to talk about uh, should I give a pre-weaning vaccination or should I just wait till weaning and get, do my vaccinations? And then we're going to talk about some of the hidden costs of transportation, which I'm not going to spoil the answer there. I'll let Dustin jump in and talk about what some of those hidden costs are. Before we get to that, guys, I've kind of been on a kick watching different things on TV. I want to know who is your favorite detective? Now, you cannot use Sherlock Holmes. That does not count. But who is your favorite fictional or real, if you happen to know a real detective? Who's your favorite detective? So detective shows? Well, it doesn't have to be a show. It could be uh, a movie. Matlock comes to mind. That would be one yeah, of the yeah. first ones that... Does he count as a detective? He was yeah, a lawyer. He was a lawyer, he but figured, he was a detective. He I mean, detect. he had to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll give you half point for that. All right. Bob? So, uh, dirty Harry. That dirty Harry. Yes, he was a detective. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, uh, I'll, I'll sound nerdy, but I, I like my Agatha Christie uh, mysteries, and so Poirot, I've, I've got to put him up there. And he's, he's pretty pretty odd little dude, so that's kind of fun. Yeah, that's a good one. Ryan? Uh, so I, as the risk of losing points, I'm going to loosely use the term detective. My daughter is actually into forensic pathology, so we like a lot of crime shows and stuff. So I'm going to say Agent Geth- Jethro Gibbs is my favorite detective. Uh, that's uh, is that a CSI guy? NCIS. Yeah, NCIS. Yeah, those are good. That counts. Okay. Growing up, I don't know if this is a detective, but. They used to have a helicopter as a Magnum PI. Magnum PI. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was, he was even one, because PI is private investigator. Yeah. It wasn't actually his initials. <laughs> no, <laughs> no that's, that's right. I like that one. Okay. Yeah, and that was who was one. his helicopter pilot? I think it was TJ. But I, I yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It Not TJ Hooker. That's a completely different show. <laughs> we better get back into this decade. <laughs> Anybody younger than 40 kind of missed some of those references. Yeah. So let's talk heifer management. And I want to think about this scenario. So we talk a lot about heifers have different nutritional needs. And I'm going to define heifers in two categories. One, yearling heifers who were being bred this spring to have their first calf next year. And two, first calf heifers who would be 30 months old at this time of year. They've got a calf by their side and they're bred with their second calf. You guys have told me before. They have different nutritional needs, separate them, manage them differently. And I can tell you what a lot of folks do is during the grazing season, I'm running them all together. I've got cows and heifers and young animals there. And because they're grazing and I'm not providing any supplemental nutrition. When it comes to fall, that may be a different story. Do I need to separate them? And do I need to separate them into three classes of animals, adults, young adults, and then even younger adults or what? How do I handle that? Yeah, I like the way you, you specified that because I say this all the time. Green growing grass is magic. It is awesome. It's an appropriate diet for almost any class of cattle. But that becomes very different when you start talking about dormant forage. And that could be standing dormant forage. That could be corn stalks. That could be hay. And that's when separating animals becomes important. So I agree that I think you could run a lot of different classes of cattle together on green growing forage and do just fine. 
Well, yeah, during the summer is just fine. I think the fall becomes the the question, at least the immediate question. And so I think you get to separate those out a little bit. So first, let's talk about the the first calf heifer who is going to have weaned her first calf and she's pregnant with her second calf. Her nutritional needs, she's still growing, but at a very slow rate. So in most situations, it's probably going to be okay to continue to run her with the chur cows from a nutritional standpoint. Now, from a social standpoint, maybe if you're supplementing and you've got limited bunk space or something like that, there could be some issues with that uh, younger heifer not getting her fair share of the supplement. But even with things like grazing corn stalks, stockpiled fescue, or even stockpiled native grass, for the most part with protein supplement, maybe a little energy supplement that you're going to give your, your mature cows anyway, she's probably going to be okay. But now the first or the yearling heifer who's pregnant with her first calf is a little different story. So if I'm grazing some fall regrowth of a cool season forage or whatever, that's going to be fine. I can keep them running together. But if I'm going to transition that cow herd to a dormant forage, so a corn stalks or other crop residue, standing mature, dormant, tall grass, prairie, those are not going to meet the nutritional needs of her to continue to grow like she needs to grow. She needs to grow at a little bit faster rate. And so the, the typical protein supplement that you would give to mature cows on those is not going to be enough. And so they're going to be need to be separated where that supplement has a little bit more energy in it than you would need for your mature cows. Well, and being sure to make the distinction of where are they today. And I draw a little bit of a line in the sand of in adults, I tend to focus on body score, not weight. In young growing animals, like these heifers we're talking about, I tend to focus more on weight. What percent of their mature body weight are they at? And then those first calf heifers, that's where my line is. I'm kind of in between on those. Is that, is that fair that I would focus more on those heifers you talked about? It's not going to meet their needs. Well, I need to know what their needs are, which means I probably need to weigh them. With my cows, I probably need to get their body score. Is that a, is that a fair distinction in, yeah. based on age class? Yeah, and if, if you have the ability to weigh them, that makes a big difference. I'm trying to remember the numbers exactly, but I think those first calf or those heifers that are pregnant with their first calf, when they get to next spring and they're ready to calve, they should be about 80% of their mature body weight. And so if you can weigh them this fall and see where they are, and then you can kind of estimate what mature body weight would be and calculate what they need to gain, you know, then you can target, well, okay, well, maybe I don't need to separate them because they gained a lot over the summer because they had really good grass or, you know, vice versa. They didn't gain very well over the summer, so I'm going to have to separate them and, and feed them some extra supplements to get them where they need to be by next spring. So that ability to weigh them and determine where they're at makes a big difference in how I can manage them. I like what you said earlier, Philip, and I just want to reemphasize that the nutritional need is part of it, but it's that nutritional need plus that social interaction it's a big deal right like you said it kind of depends if you have more than adequate bunk space and everybody's able to eat and you can you might be able to manage them together a little bit but if it's limited bunk space and they're having to compete for more feed that they don't cows it's probably not going to happen so you, both of those i think need to be considered you talk about being around the block. Some of those cows, if you use the example of going into corn stalks after harvest, some of those cows have been around the cornfield. They know where to go to find <laughs> the right nutrition. Those heifers, it's all brand new. They're like, why am I eating this part? And the cows are going, I don't know, but keep doing it. <laughs> so I think that's a good distinction. So you may or may not need to separate them. And then 
especially with those young growing ones. But the first calf heifers, you said, we're probably okay to put them back in with the group. With the caveat, how did they come off grass at the end of the summer? And I think that's an important distinction that we have to have some form of measurement. The other thing I'd follow up on that you said, you like doing it now, August, September, late August, September, sometime early, because then I've got six months to make changes before they calve if I've got spring calvers. Mm -hmm. If I wait till I get into winter, I don't have near as much time to make a difference because how much can I get them to gain? Well, I mean, you can get them to gain quite a bit if you really want to push the feed to them, but that's not what I want them to do because I'll make them too fat. So, you know, at this stage, I probably want them gaining around a pound a day or, or something like that to, from if, from, to get, if, they're, if they're on target from now till next spring, getting them to gain around a pound a day of cow weight. You know, so you got to take out the, the fetal weight that they're also gaining as that fetus is growing inside, too. Yeah, and, you know, another thing that, that I thought of as you were talking, Brad, was age is important, particularly, I, I would agree, I would probably take all the heifers that are pregnant with their first pregnancy and manage them separately during the, the winter, you know, in this, in this part of the world. The rest of the cows, so the mature cows, the old cows, and the pregnant with their second calf cows, I would basically, instead of using age, I would use body condition. So you could have thin cows in any of those groups and maybe that, instead of dividing by age, pull off some of the thinner cows for a little bit higher nutritional, uh, higher concentrate type of a supplement or something like that. I feel a little weird. Did you disagree with me? I think I may have, <laughs> but uh, we can edit that out. <laughs> yeah, we can fix that on the back end. Okay, excellent. So let's let's think about as we shift gears, let's talk a little bit about as you come up towards weaning, and we might want to think about pre-weaning vaccination. So this is something that you hear people talk about, and I've heard people say, maybe we should pre-wean vaccinate our calves. And I want to ask you guys, does that make sense or not? But before I do, I'm going to turn to Dustin and ask him, how, how do these vaccination programs, are they going to impact the price that I receive for those calves? Yes, they can. There has been some research done here by some colleagues of mine that have found that there are premiums associated with some of these vaccination programs prior to weaning. I don't recall the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it's anywhere from 2 to $4. 2 to $4 per hundred weight yeah. difference. And, and that makes a, a difference when we see years like this where feeder calf prices are pretty high. That premium is still in that same range or does it go up yeah i'm not sure i mean i when they were doing that study i don't know that they had a long time series and i don't know what the prices were at that yeah. time but i'm sure it would probably still carry through because the value and the implied value of that vaccination prior to leaving is that hopefully we prevent some health conditions so now i'll go to you guys and say so getting them up prior to weaning is challenging logistically, labor-wise, it's much easier if I get them up one time and I wean them, and then I can do their second vaccination later. Is it worth it to do a pre-weaning vaccination? I think this is one of the answers where if I was a veterinarian working with clients, I would give different answers to different clients based a lot on when they're going to market those calves. Are they going to try to market those calves pretty quickly after weaning, such as the day of or within a week or so of weaning? Or are they going to keep those cattle around for 45, 60, 90 days? So my answer would change in those situations. If I'm going to keep them around longer on my operation, so they're not going to be commingled, they're not going to be trucked anywhere for two or three months, 
then I think I have more options. I could start my, maybe we should ask, what are we vaccinating for? Typically, it's, it's two disease types. One is the black leg disease, so the clostridial diseases. So we're going to vaccinate that around weaning. And some of our diseases that cause respiratory disease, such as IVR, BVD, those types of viruses that can cause respiratory disease. If I'm going to maintain those animals on my operation for two or three months longer, I could start my vaccination program probably at weaning and be pretty happy with the results. If I'm going to sell right at weaning, I may want a couple of doses of vaccine into them before they're weaned. At, at least from a marketing standpoint. And what, what I hear you saying is their risk of disease, while we say they're at risk at the time of weaning, they're stressful, but their, their real risk comes into play when it's weaning combined with exposure to other animals, exposure to new pathogens. If they stay on the farm, they're at much less risk of disease. I guess I sort of agree. You know, and we had this discussion with Dr. Willems earlier this spring when she was here at K-State. And, you know, the point of vaccinating pre-weaning is the calves are starting to experience that drop in maternal antibody. The problem is we they don't do it consistently, right? And so we don't know exactly when that happens, specifically when we talk about an individual calf. And so what we're trying to do is minimize that immunologic valley where they're going to be at risk, where they don't have the protection. And yes, exposure to outside animals increases that risk of exposure. But within a lot of herds, we may have these pathogens moving around and we just don't know it until we get the one calf whose immune system finally drops below because we didn't vaccinate early enough or that maternal antibody dropped off faster than the rest. And then we see it, right? And now we've got a clinical case within our herd. And so you guys mentioned clostridials, you know, those are ubiquitous. They're in the environment everywhere. And so that one, maybe I can make a stronger argument that it might be as important. The marketing of the calves doesn't have as big an impact, right? We know those calves are going to be exposed and we just need to, we want that vaccine in early enough where we don't let the maternal antibody drop low enough to where we get a clinical case. And so I think even if you're going to keep them around, I think that you can make some arguments for it's still critical to get that pre-weaning vaccine in. So Brian, great clarification. And I just said pre-weaning and weaning. We talked a few weeks ago, there are people this year that are early weaning calves at five months of age. There are people this year that I suspect will wean their calves at nine or 10 months, needed or not, right? And those are two very different scenarios. So Brian's point is, take into account the calf's age, because that's a, a really different process for stimulating immunity in a three, four-month-old calf versus a nine, 10-month-old calf. Is that fair, Bob? Yeah, that, that really is. And I guess I'll go back to my point is, I think we have options and different branches are going to get different answers. One of the things that Amelia and some of her co-workers have shown is it might be more convenient to get this first dose of vaccine into calves at the pasture turnout time when they're two to three months of age or one to three months of age right in that area. That may be a good time to get the first vaccine in and that may be more convenient than say 45 days before weaning and that works pretty well. And so that becomes an option for some producers. You get your first dose in at pasture turnout time and you get your second dose in at the time of weaning and I don't have to run all the cows through 45 days ahead. 
So I think we have options. I don't think there's the same vaccination program for every herd to kind of meet their needs of health and marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, a great place to put it, Bob, is to say it's a conversation about what fits with this herd, but it's more than just health and do the vaccines work. It goes back to Dustin's very first comment. Do I have a way that I'm going to take advantage of that? That could be through marketing. It could be through me owning the calves and them not getting sick through a future phase. So great point and discussion there. And Dustin, we're going to turn back to you because I talked about the hidden costs of transportation. So you get to put on your, and Magnum PI, it wasn't a hat that he wore. It was his shirt that made him Magnum PI. So you get to put on your Magnum PI shirt and tell us what are some of the hidden costs of transportation? Well, I think the hidden costs that we were talking about was the shrink, right? And that's what, and so I, maybe one of you guys can define that. that I've always talked about her pencil shrink, but then you guys talked earlier before we jumped on here about this hidden yeah. shrink as well. It le leads us to having less weight at the time of sale. Right. I may set it up as saying, and I'll, I'll give a simple definition and let these guys jump in, but shrink is any amount of weight that those cattle lost between the time that they we started to gather them off the cow or out of the weaning pens till the time that they sold their actual pay weight. So you, you guys can tell me what, what kind of numbers are we, let, let, me, let me frame it differently. So pencil shrink, a lot of times we're thinking marketing calves, feeder calves. Let's take a scenario where I'm gonna take my weaned calves from my farm at home and take them either to an auction or sell them online or sell them some other manner. How does shrink apply to me in that scenario? Well, in that scenario, what I would say is, what's the best way up I could have gotten? And probably the best way up I could have gotten was to deliver them to the market and they get weighed relatively soon after I deliver them and they haven't been off feed or water prior to me delivering. That's the best, highest way up I'm going to get. The worst scenario would be, well, I gathered them and put them in a dry lot overnight and they didn't have access to feed or water overnight at my facility and then I take them to an auction market and then they're not weighed for a day a day and a half two days that would be the even if they had access to feed and water a lot of times they won't eat as well at the where you're going so then i'm going to have my worst way up and so one way to think about it and this isn't really the definition of shrink but from a marketing standpoint it's what's the difference in the weight that i got paid for versus the weight that i could have gotten paid for if i'd done everything right I think that's a good definition, right? What's the difference between what I could have had versus what I ended up getting, which leaves on the table, there's some shrink that's unavoidable. I mean, so part of your discussion is some shrink, and basically you could think of it as any bodily fluids or solids that leave the calf before they sell, that's shrink, right? Anything that runs through the bottom of your trailer as you're leaving, that's shrink. It's weight that is not there, but unavoidable to some degree. Brian, you were going to say something. I cut you off. No, that's, I, that's exactly what I was going to say is that, you know, shrink is, you can say the, the, the difference between the ideal way and what you actually got paid for or whatever liquid, fluid, solid left the animal between the time it left your farm and the time it crossed the scale. So there's a part of that that is unavoidable. But part of it is also greatly influenced by how we manage the nutrition and diet leading up to that point and how we managed animal handling 
loading those cattle. Philip, what's your what's your perspective on some of the things that we can do to not eliminate but manage shrink? Well, I think one of the things is just how handling is a big component. So stress is going to increase the frequency of urination defecation so in that animal and so their their loss of weight or shrink is is greater the more stressful stressed they are during that whole process so trying to to be calm do it gently do it slowly trying to do it in time near to when i'm actually going to weigh them up so they don't have a long period of time to be stressed which which everything you've said means I have to have good facilities. Because if I don't have good facilities or they're questionable that the cattle might get out or I might not get them in, what do I do? I do it way ahead of time and I'm trying to do it faster so that they don't get out, they don't get away, Mm -hmm. I don't have issues. Well, like Bob mentioned earlier about when we're talking about vaccinations, am I going to keep them around for a day or a week or a few days after I wean them before I sell them? That's like the worst case scenario. Because now I've stressed that calf by pulling him away from the dam. He's not going to eat very well for the next few days. And so he lost quite a bit of weight between the time he was on the dam to when I actually sold him. And so that's kind of the, the worst case scenario that I want to avoid. And anything I can do to make that better is going to be a plus. Yeah. And the feed, I think, is important. The water comes into play, and sometimes we have different water sources out on pasture. They may be going from a creek or a pond, and then we move them to rural water, and then they could even make the big move to city water if they go to a certain auction market or place. All those different things, they're sensitive to that, and it doesn't take a lot of decreased water consumption to make a big difference. You know, one other thing to think about is, and so the the concept of, well, some markets might historically have higher feeder calf prices. And I might be tempted to put my calves in a trailer and truck them quite a ways to get a better price per hundred weight. But my way up could be less. And so I so maybe I'll turn to, to Dustin. How do how do I consider kind of the arbitrage, the difference in the price I might receive per hundred pounds and the cost to get them there. And it's not just the fuel cost. The fuel cost is actually pretty important to consider right now. But how do I think about all of this? Well, I think you just need to think of all the costs associated right, with sh- shipping them, which we've, you've talked about the transportation costs or the, the fuel being up, but that shrink. And the question is, how much shrink will it take? I mean, has there been research out there that looked at how far, how much shrink? So I can't just go by which location gives me the higher price per hundred weight. Well, if it's somewhere a little further away, then maybe that's results in more shrink, which then less pounds, less revenue. So there's a few things you probably need to take into consideration. And you said, I'm going to jump back to something you said, Brett. You said facilities are really important for managing shrink. And I agree with that, but you have a lot less control over facilities than you do attitude and training. And so you could have the best facilities in the world and the wrong people will totally negate it or the wrong attitude about handling cattle totally negate it. So both of those and oftentimes we're talking about shipping cattle things like that there are third-party people involved you just need to make sure you have the right people on board to, to help manage that too excellent great points guys and no simple easy solution here but if you've got a great tip for managing shrink you can send it to us or if you've got a question you'd like us to talk about you can send it to us at bci at ksu.edu